Hey there, welcome to a special edition New River Church podcast. These recordings were done at our most recent Holy Spirit weekend in which Lydia O'Leary taught us about freedom. I think you're going to really be blessed by this. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, you could just check us out at newriverchurch.org. This is Lydia. Let's give her let's give her a hand tonight, friends. God bless you. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me tonight. Man, that was wonderful. That song, You're Worthy of It All, that's the song that I feel like I could sing forever. It's just only a couple words, and yet it's like every time it's another wave of the goodness of God. And I love that song. Um, So, God, we do say you are worthy of it all. So we've got this weekend is a Holy Spirit weekend, right? You guys have a Holy Spirit weekend every year, and uh, we're so excited to be here because about three years ago, the Holy Spirit invaded our lives in a crazy way that changed everything. I'm going to give you a little bit of the background for that tonight, um, what brought us to where we are, and, and then tomorrow we are going to dive into Uh, the Word of God, in a way that's going to bring transformation that's going to blow your freaking mind, okay? Um, Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. Um, I fell in love with Jesus when I was probably about four years old. As long as I can remember, I've loved him. I've just loved him. I would feel him in worship time. I was raised in a Christian home, and I just... Like, I just loved him, you know? And, uh, and I've loved him my whole life. I'm one of 12 kids, um, so I came from a big family. I was smack in the middle, me and another sibling, so I didn't even get the middle child title. I had to share it with somebody, you know? That's how crazy it was. Um, but it was all good. So I grew up loving the Lord, and uh, I, never, I never walked away from him because he just had my heart. He just really had it. And so, just a side note, encouragement to you and your kids. Your kids can fall in love with Jesus very early. And it's very real, and the Lord can speak to them. And amazing things can happen, even in little ones. Because the Lord was speaking to me even as a little kid. And I tell you all of that because when I get to the point where I turned 38... And God changed everything for me. I want you to understand that I wasn't somebody who didn't know the Lord. I did. I knew him and I loved him. I saw him move in my life. Um, I got married to my husband, Jim, when I was 20 years old. We have four beautiful kids who are all here tonight. Uh, And he had us start leading a house church, a church that met in our home. And we did it. We've been married for, like I said, 20 years, and over the past 20 years, we've taken in hundreds of men, women, and children into our home that have been addicted to drugs, living on the street, in poverty, all of those things. Uh, We weren't looking to do that. We both had jobs, um, and yet they would just somehow show up at our door. And when that would happen, we would just kind of feel like, well, that's the Lord bringing them here. We've got to do something about it. And we certainly can't tell them to leave. You know, that's just not how you do it. And so over the course of the 20 years, it's been hundreds of people that have lived with us, gotten set free from addiction, 
healed of mental illness and things like that. Beautiful, beautiful things that the Lord has done. We saw him move, but it was long and it was hard and it was grueling and it wasn't fun a lot of the time. And, uh, but we did it because we were doing it for Jesus, right? <laughs> you just, we're going to do it. And we did it. And uh, it's, it's good. But about three years ago, I was in a prayer meeting, and I was in this place where I was kind of like, all right, Lord, I, I don't know what else to give. Like, I feel like I've given you everything. I feel like I'm living for you. I love you. I know you. I'm in your word. I'm not, there's no hidden sin in my life. Like, I, I don't know what else to do, and yet I still feel like there's this disconnect there. And I, I, I'm going to assume the problem's with me, <laughs> but I don't know what. Like, I really don't. I, I, I don't know what to do. Um, and, and so in the midst of this prayer meeting, I just started praying this prayer, and the phrase that was said, and I didn't think about it beforehand, it just kind of came out of my mouth. It was the Holy Spirit moving me to pray this, and I prayed, Lord, would you expand my capacity to house you? Lord, would you expand my capacity to house you? And I didn't even know what I was praying, but it sounded great. So I continued to pray that. That was December of 2019, 2020. I'm praying that January, February, great. Um, still praying it. And we, our church meets on a Friday night. And so one Friday night in February of 2020, everything dramatically changed because we had a young man come and he brought a friend with him into our church gathering. And um, this friend, there's no delicate way of putting it, she just had like hundreds of demons. <laughs> okay? So in the middle of our meeting, she starts manifesting tons of demons. I mean, her face is changing, her voice is changing as different things are popping to the surface and the thing's going like... Uh, you know, I see you with that spirit of lust on you. I see you. And pointing out stuff in people in the church. I mean, it was horrible, right? So this thing pops up on this girl. So we jump up and, and dive into action, right? In the name of Jesus, be quiet. In the name of Jesus, we command you, you have to leave right now. Get out in the name of Jesus. Out. I don't have to leave. Yes, you do. Get out. Get out in Jesus' name. You have to go. I don't have to go. Yes, you do. No, I don't. See, I can see Jesus too. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm like, uh-oh. I'm about out of everything I know to do. Let's, all right, let's all start worshiping. We're all going to worship God. Let's just exalt God, and maybe this thing will leave, right? So we just start worshiping God. And that thing's just going on in the corner. I'm like, this is not working. This is not working, all right? Maybe we should just be asking God. Maybe we aren't supposed to be declaring it out. Let's ask God for him to move and kick this thing out. God, would you move? God, would you move and kick this thing out? Get, this, get these things out. God, set her free. Oh, God of mercy. You know, like just grasping at straws for what could happen. I mean, we got so desperate that one man in our gathering came up and he whispered in my ear and he was saying, I think maybe we're supposed to dump water on her. And I said, do it. 
And so he took a water bottle like this, opened it up, and just, right? And she's just like, you know, I mean, it was horrible. We went for four hours. Four hours. Now, I've seen demonic stuff before. I've kicked out demonic stuff before, you know? Very few and far between. It was not my normal. But I would have said that I could teach a class on it. <laughs> That's terrible, but it's true. I would have said that I knew about it, right? That I understood it. Uh, but when it came to that moment, it was very clear that what I understood and what I knew was not working, right? And so midnight comes, and the girl's sopping wet, and she's just kind of like probably a little bit more in control herself now. Um, but clearly there's still stuff going on, right? And she goes home. And I, I am just like, God, I never, ever, ever, never want to be in a situation like that again. And then for the next couple months, I was an absolute mess. I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry. I, I didn't understand, and I knew I didn't understand. I was yelling out, you know, if you're so powerful, how come you didn't move? Don't, don't, do I not know you? I mean, do I literally, have I lived my whole life serving somebody that, that you would say I don't know you? I mean, does your name not have power? I don't understand. I did everything that you said to do. How come you didn't fulfill your end? How come you didn't move? I was a mess, but I wasn't going to pretend that it didn't happen. I wasn't just going to go on and just continue. He said, all right, we got to figure this out. Really what the Lord was doing was he took me and he threw me in the deep end of a swimming pool. And he said, swim, because he needed to show me that I couldn't. Because I would have thought that I could teach a swimming class. And that's what he had to do. And he knew it's what I wanted because I had been praying, expand my capacity to house you. He knew it's what I really wanted, even though it was horrible to actually have it happen. And so every Sunday for a while, we said, anybody in the church, we said, we're just going to gather on Sunday and we're going to write a big list of all the questions we have that came from that. We're going to not pretend like we don't know anything. We're going to acknowledge that we don't know anything and write down every, every question. And so we got a massive whiteboard and we just wrote question after question after question after question after question. And we had that whiteboard filled up. And then we went after it. And, and what that looked like is we started looking in the Bible. And we looked at the Gospels where Jesus cast out demons. And I'd read it and go, I don't really see anything new here. <laughs> like, I, I've read this. I, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. I mean, this is all stuff I know, God. I, I don't know. And that was frustrating. <laughs> And then we had this man come, and he said, he said, I'm, I want to show you something. Uh, he had these two cards. He called them the, the blue and the green card. He was from an organization called Be In Health. And uh, basically, the blue card, I think, was about forgiveness. The green card was about telling spiritual things to leave. And so 
you would walk through forgiveness and then you'd read the green card next and tell stuff to go. And so uh, I was a little unsure about all of that because my whole life I was adamant that a Christian couldn't have any sort of spiritual, you know, unclean spiritual thing going on there. And uh, I was adamant about it. In fact, I could have taught on it. <laughs> Anyways, so... Um, he brings these little cards, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess, I, God, I don't know. The first question you ask is, God, what's stealing from me? And so I decided to try it because clearly I know nothing, right? God, what is stealing from me? And his response, he said, anger. And I was surprised because I don't picture myself as an angry person, but when you've got that many people living in your home, who don't know how to do chores, <laughs> you know, yeah, anger would rise up. It would totally rise up on my chest, but I thought it was normal, and I thought that the Christian response was to just not go with it, right? Take a walk, get back to peace, put some worship music on, pray a little bit, and then I'm good. That's what I thought normal Christianity was, all right? So that's what I lived, right? And so when the Lord said, anger stealing from you, I, I thought, well, wait, 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 what do you mean? Isn't that a normal thing? No, Lydia. If it's not like me, it's not like you, because I've redeemed you back to my image. Okay. He said, you shouldn't have to fight a battle to handle a situation. Okay. All right, I'm going to try it. Pick up the little card. All right, anger. You're not me. You're not my thoughts. You're not my emotions. You can't have my body. In Jesus' name, I command you, get up and get off of me. Go to hell. That felt weird coming out the first time. I was never allowed to say that growing up. It was very liberating. Get off of me, right? And I'll tell you, that anger left, and I have never felt it on my chest again. It's been three years, three and a half or something, whatever, 2020 to now. <coughs> so that was shocking, right? Didn't notice it until the next day, you know, <laughs> when stuff would happen, and all of a sudden you're used to this thing happening, and it didn't happen, and I was just able to handle a situation fine. It's like, this is interesting. Well, then that started this sort of like, oh, well, all right, all right. Well, if anger's not me, what else is not me? What else has been there that I've just thought was normal human stuff that is not, right? Well, he began to show me. The next one that, that came, he's, I would get, every time I'd go to preach or lead worship or something, I'd get these really like graphic, pornographic pictures that would just right in my mind. Didn't like them, didn't want them, didn't agree with them, you know, but they, it would happen. And I would, it would be like, I, I, I thought, what I thought it was, was I thought it was some spiritual thing floating around in the atmosphere, knowing I was about to preach the word of God and just landing on me. That's what I thought. And the Lord said, no, Lydia. If it's in your mind, it's attached to you. My freedom sets your mind free. 
Nothing's allowed to just take that space. It's only there because you've agreed with it. I'm like, what? When did I agree with that? I don't like that thing. <coughs> so he brings me back in my memory to this moment, uh, close to the beginning of our marriage. Um, and I'm thinking, God, that was almost 20 years ago. Are you telling me that that is on, has been on me that long? And, and I've healed from that. Like, that's, the, I, I, that's not even an issue. And he said, yeah, Lydia, but that moment happened. You opened the door. That thing came in. You closed the door, cleaned up your house, and that thing hid in the closet. And then it would periodically come out when you're not looking, do a, rearrange a couple things, and then go back in the closet. And I'd go, what's happening? What happened here? I had no understanding for what was going on. And so the battle that I was fighting was just not actually doing anything at all because I didn't know what was actually taking place. So I'm like, all right, well, what is this? He said, it's a tormenting spirit. All right, I'm a pro at this now. Tormenting spirit, you are not me. You don't get to have me. You don't get to have my mind, my emotions, my body. I belong to Jesus. He paid for my salvation. You got to go in the name of Jesus by his authority. Get off of me and don't ever come back to me again. Well, it's been three years and it's gone. I don't even remember those images. Amazing. Amazing. Because I was settling for things that I thought were normal that the blood of Jesus actually covered. Right? I heard Doug praying earlier that you would get everything that you paid for, Jesus. That you would get everything that you paid for. We've settled for a salvation that is way less than what Jesus actually paid for. Because we don't know how to, we don't know what's actually going on. And we don't know how to handle it. We don't know what to actually do to make it stop. We pray, we put on worship music, we do these things, but it's not actually fixing the problem. It might make it settle down for a little bit, but it certainly just rises back up again in, in a week or so, or even the next day, maybe the next hour. And the Lord said, Lydia, I want you to see you're like a garden, right? And all these seeds have been planted in that garden, and you're watering it, you're weeding it, you're doing all the right things. That's worship. That's prayer. Those are all things that are good for a garden. You're doing all of that. But every night, rodents come and eat the food. They eat the fruit. And then every morning, I'm going, why isn't it there? Why isn't it there? And so I water more, and I weed more, and I'm going, I'm watering. I'm weeding. It just doesn't work. No, those things are good, and they're, they're effective for what they're doing. But if I don't actually remove the rodents and put a fence up, guess what? I'm never getting the fruit. And I always wondered, God, how come you say that you bring peace, and yet I, I feel like I have to, like, be peaceful? How come? I don't get it. Because you say it's a fruit of your spirit. Well, things were stealing the fruit. And instead of removing them, I was just watering more. I was praying more, worshiping more, doing things that were good, but they weren't what needed to be done to solve the problem. It's like, it's like I, if I had a flesh wound, right? I don't take Pepto-Bismol for a flesh wound. Pepto-Bismol is for a stomach thing, right? 
It's good for what it does. It's effective. I also don't put a bandage on my stomach if it's upset, right? You're taking a good thing and putting it on the wrong thing, and it's just not going to work. It doesn't mean that thing is bad or ineffective, but if you're using it wrongly, it's not going to work. And this is where the church, this is where I have been for, had been for a long time. Like just trying to apply things where I thought that they were supposed to go, and I couldn't understand why it wasn't working, right? Or, or why, like, you get tired of the battle after a little while. You fight it a couple times, and you feel like you're winning because you put on a worship song and everything settled down. And so you're like, yes, I won. And then, no, you didn't because it's back again, right? And you go, how many times, God, do I have to fight this battle? Well, this weekend, you're going to learn how to fight the battle and have it be done. That's what we're going to do. But we're going to do it by looking at Scripture, not just hearing amazing testimonies, which you will hear as well. Um, so that year, 2020, I'm a mess, right? And I'm starting to practice telling things to go. I don't even know what I'm doing. And July of that year, out of the blue, the whole month of July, a new person began to show up at my house every single day, randomly, asking to be set free, asking to be baptized, asking to give their life to Jesus. I wasn't leaving my home. So open the door, hi, can you help me get free? I'll practice on you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll try, you know? Yeah. And so the month of July, this is happening. And I start thinking, wow, God, is this like revival? <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. And then it happens, and it's continuing into August. Literally every single day, another person showing up. Wow, God, this is crazy. Well, I get towards the end of August, and the Lord says to me, I, I want to send you to San Diego. And I was like, mm-mm-mm-mm, because I knew what was in San Diego. Uh, a kid that had been part of our church went to be in the Navy out in San Diego, and he was all excited because he found a church there that operates in deliverance, right? And so he sent me some videos of deliverances. And I watched those videos and was like, ah, no, 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 no. That looks totally crazy. That looks totally crazy. I don't even know what to do with this information, you know? And so here's the Lord saying, I want you to go out to exactly where this kid is, exactly where that church is. And I'm going, well, listen, here's the deal, Lord. I'll go, but you're going to teach me. I'm not going to go and learn a method or what they do, but if you have something that you want to tell me, you can tell me, and we'll leave it at that. That's our compromise. Deal, right? So I get my ticket to San Diego, and I start to fly out there. I have a layover in Chicago, and I'm at the airport, and I'm sitting there 45 minutes early from my flight, watching the desk. I wasn't far. I was like from here to less than the, that glass door right there, just watching. I didn't have a phone in my hand, didn't have a laptop, just waiting for my flight. Waiting, 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 waiting. Finally, I'm like, they should have boarded by now. I go up to the desk and I say, when are you guys going to start boarding? And they said, what do you mean? We've already boarded the entire plane. What's your name? And I said, my name's Lydia, <laughs> uh, Lydia O'Leary. And they said, we called you three times. 
And I said, there's no way you called me. I was sitting right there. There was no line. Like, there's just no way this happened. And they said, yeah, yeah, everybody, you can't get on now. It's already all boarded. The door's closed. Um, but, oh, look, there's another flight in three hours or whatever. We'll get you on that one. Easy peasy. Right there, I was on another flight, and I just kind of looked around and was like, God, you have had to have changed <laughs> the scenery in front of me. Because you can't miss people lining up in the lines at the desk to get onto a plane. You just can't miss that, but apparently you can. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going, all right, well, why do you have me here then? Like, something's got to be. This has got to be something. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to go to the chapel. Thinking there's a chapel in an airport? Okay. So I find the chapel, and turns out I'm there like five, ten minutes before their service. I'm thinking, wow, this has got to be a divine appointment, right? This is exciting. I'm here right as the service is about to begin. I mean, what are the odds of that happening, right? So I go, and I go right down front, and I'm sitting right in the front, and I got my mask on because it's COVID and all, and uh, the, it turns out it's a Catholic mass. And the priest comes in, and he starts, like, straightening, like, the tassels and the candles, and I'm, like, trying to look friendly and approachable with my eyes, you know, like you can say hi and he's just not going to look at me. He's just not going to look at me, right? And so, whatever. So he gets up and he starts preaching and it ends up becoming very, very, very evident that I knew nothing about what was going on because he started having to give me hand signals like, stand up, sit down. Stand up, <laughs> sit down. And I'm sitting there, and everybody else, the other three people, were in the back row. So I couldn't even watch them. I was like, what did I do? So I'm sitting here like, this is the worst. God, why do you have me here? This is so dumb, right? And uh, he's preaching. He's preaching on Jesus. It's all good, but it was terrible. I was counting down the seconds till I could fly out of there. I felt like my skin was crawling. I just wanted to be done. I was tired, whatever. He ends up finishing, and I'm like, peace out, right? So I book it back to where my flight is. I mean, I'm just like, God, it was so dumb. You know, like... That was not even, if that was a joke, I'm not laughing, right? And so I, I get on my flight, I go to San Diego, I land in San Diego, and uh, <clears throat> right in time for their, for their deliverance training session. And so I'm now exhausted. I had started at four in the morning, I was on a flight, you know, layovers, and then landed in San Diego, eight o'clock their time. So really it's like 10, 11 o'clock my time, I'm tired, and I go into this deliverance training meeting, and uh, I just go sit down, plop myself down, and all of a sudden they're like, all right, we're going to stir up the spirit. Everybody speak in tongues. Right? And I'm just like, and I just start laughing and crying, like, okay, I can speak in tongues. It's okay. I can do this. Like, focus, Lydia, focus. Like, what is going on right now, right? And I'm laughing, and I'm going, God, Three hours ago, you had me in a Catholic mass, 
and now you have me here. Like, what are we doing right now, right? And so I'm just laughing and crying and like, okay, you're gonna be okay. And then he says, okay, I want you guys each to pair up with somebody. We're gonna pray for people until they get healed. And so I get paired with this 14-year-old boy. And again, I'm deliriously tired. I'm just going to tell you that because of the decisions I'm about to tell you that I made. So <laughs> uh, I get paired up with a 14-year-old boy. And he asks me, do you have anything to be healed of? And I should have said no. But I didn't. I said, yes, I have a canker sore. Right? <laughs> And so he says, okay. And so he puts his hand on my face and he says, in the name of Jesus, canker sore be healed. And so I reach my tongue over. Oh, it's still there. Okay, in the name of Jesus, canker sore be healed. It's still there. Right, so we're going. He's done this now like multiple, multiple times. And in my mind, I'm going... There is no freaking way this kid's going to lose his salvation because of me tonight. Like, I'm not doing this, God, right? And so I devise a plan in my deliriousness. This is my plan, all right? I decide I'm just not going to feel it. I'm not going to reach my tongue over and feel it, right? So then he prays for the millionth time, and I just go, I don't feel it. Immediately, there's a camera phone in my face. You're on YouTube Live. You've just been healed. Tell your story, right? And I'm like, get out of my face. Like, leave me alone. I just want to go to bed. I'm tired. I'm confused about today entirely. I don't know what we're doing. Like, I just got to go, you know? And so I finally make it to my bed that night. And I'm sitting on the bed. And I'm going, God, what the heck was today about? And he said two things to me. First, he brought me in my mind to that Catholic, Catholic mass. And he said, Lydia, process without relationship is dead. And I thought about it. I mean, he preached about Jesus. It was a good message. There was nothing wrong with it but it was devoid of relationship, wasn't even making eye contact, and I felt like I just wanted to be out of there. He had a process, but without relationship, it was completely ineffective. Okay. And then he brought my mind to this deliverance training thing. He said, and zeal without relationship creates pressure. The pressure to act, the pressure to pretend, the pressure to perform. All of this hyped up, oh, God's going to, it just creates this sort of like, I've got to be in it. I'm in it. I can't not be in it right now, I guess. Or I'm going to look, you know, it just creates pressure. And I thought, wow, God, all right, I don't want anyone to ever feel what I felt when, they're, when I'm with them, when I'm praying with them. It's got to be about relationship. Lesson learned. I got it, God, okay? So then the next day, I get to meet the man that I saw in all those deliverance videos. Because he's going to do a deliverance on me, which I'm not even sure I believe in yet, right? But in my mind, I kind of said, 
either it's real or it's not real, all right? And if it's not real, nobody has to know that I even came here. If it's real, then I certainly want to know and want anything that shouldn't be there to be gone, right? That was, my, that was where I was landing. And so I sat there, and, and this man, uh, I love him. I love him. His name's Art. He's like 70-something years old, maybe older. I don't even know. He's a former fire captain, fire chief, something like that. Gruff, like, rawr, rawr, type of guy. And, uh, and uh, he told me his whole testimony. Amazing what God's doing with him on the streets of San Diego. Not what God is doing on the, in Salem, New Hampshire with us, but amazing what God is doing there. And uh, so he sits down across from me, and uh, he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that wicked thing inside of you. I'm going to ask it its name, and you're just going to tell me whatever you hear. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you know. So I sat there, and uh, he says, you wicked thing in there. You tell me your name. And immediately the thought that crosses my mind is Lucifer. And I'm like, nope, no freaking way. I didn't hear anything. <laughs> there's no way. I've got, there's no way I have the prince of demons in me. Like, I'm not, and I'm sitting there like mental gymnastics, right? I mean, if you can imagine in that moment, like, I must have made that up. I sh could, that just had to be my own. No, I wouldn't have made that up. I definitely would not have made that up. Um... So I went back to my reason I was there. Either it's real or it's not real. If it's not real, who cares? Nobody even has to know, right? If it is real and I've got something called Lucifer in there, I certainly want it gone. So, all right, I heard Lucifer. Oh, Lucifer, we meet again. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, so we go through, you know, forgiving people and breaking off agreement with stuff, and we tell Lucifer, Luf Lucifer's got to go. Uh, it came in, said it came in through my grandfather's uh, engagement with Freemasonry. He was very, very high up in it. Whatever, I just went with it, right? And so I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything leave, nothing, right? So I leave that meeting, and I'm like, Okay, well, that was interesting. If I had a Lucifer, <laughs> then something's got to be drastically different because you can't have something like that and not have it be drastically different afterwards, right? Do you agree with me? This is my logic. Like, this is how I'm weighing things out. And so I'm about to pay attention to if there's anything different because I didn't feel anything happen, you know? Well, I'll tell you, and you can even ask my husband this for years, for, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, every single night at 3 a.m., I would wake up coughing and hacking and choking and all of this stuff, and I always had a reason for it. It's the dry air, it's seasonal allergies, it's this and it's that, and I would say, God, would you please just let me sleep? God, help me sleep through the night. I'm exhausted. Can I just have one solid night of sleep? begging and pleading and praying and nothing until that night and ever since. Like, okay, something is happening and I don't even know what I'm doing, right? 
but God, you've got me in somewhere. You've shown me that I know nothing, and you're bringing me into something where I still don't know anything. You're going to have to teach me. So I fly back home from San Diego, and I'm like, okay, okay. Well, that very next Friday, out of all the 20 years of us doing this house, house church, there's only been one time that somebody's come in thriving demon-possessed, right? Well, here I come back from San Diego, and that Friday night, we have this big worship, prayer, whatever time, and somebody invites a friend, right? And this woman, she's about my size. She looks completely put together, like everything. She's there. She's engaged. She's worshiping, having a moment with the Lord. And then she has to leave because she has an overnight job. So she came up to me, and <clears throat> she grabbed my hands, and she said, I've got to go because I've got to go to work, but can you pray for me before I go? And then she goes, oh, but all of a sudden I feel really afraid. I'm like, that should have been my sign right there, but it wasn't. And so I said, oh, it's okay, sweetheart. Here, give me your hands. It's okay. I want you to say, in the name of Jesus, and I was going to have her say, in the name of Jesus, I renounce fear, right? I want you to say, in the name of Jesus, and she starts going, mm-hmm. and I'm looking because the lights are dim, and I can't tell if she's crying. I'm like, it's okay, sweetheart. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> you know, I want you to say it with me in the name of Jesus. And she goes, and throws me to the ground, right? And so all of a sudden, I'm laying on, the ba- on my back in the middle of my living room, like, what is happening? <laughs> I did not see that coming, right? And so these guys, like, tackle her from our church, <laughs> hold her down, and she's flailing and screaming and all of this stuff. And I'm like, what on earth? And so we go over and I just get right in her face. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's like something you'd see in a movie, right? I mean, it's just not, all of a sudden she comes to, oh, sorry, I forget that's there. She comes to the surface and she goes, please help me. And then, boom, it was like, again, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I'm down there and I'm going, all right, what's your name? (laughs) I'll get my finger out too. Art has a finger. I can have a finger. What's your name? (laughs) You're trying to sound like him. I don't know. And we get the name of this thing. It answers. break off agreement with it, and we tell it's got to go in Jesus' name. And within 20 minutes, that girl was completely set free. And she was like, what happened to me? It was unbelievable. And it was the Lord saying, look at what's changed. Look at what's changed, right? Well, starting the very next day, you know how I told you July and August had a new person showing up every day? Well, September was a whole different ball game. September, after that Friday, this next day, for the next nine months... I had anywhere from two to seven people at my house every single day to get set free. And this was not with me telling anybody. I wasn't leaving my basement office. I I didn't even see sunlight practically for nine months. Uh, They just were showing up. They were showing up, and so I would, we we didn't even have a bedroom at that time because our house was under construction, so I'd come up in the morning from the basement, and there'd be somebody sitting at my kitchen table. Can you help me get free? And I'd be like, I I will try. And we would walk down to the basement, and we would pray, and we would try to figure out what's stealing from them and tell it to go, right? And it took, it was hard and long. It took several hours, and then we'd go upstairs, and there'd be another person sitting at my kitchen table. Let's go. 
do this, go through, pray, you know, command, whatever, trying to figure it out, and go back upstairs and there'd be another person sitting at my kitchen table. This happened for nine months. Guys, that's a long time. And so after about three months, thank God for my brother, he made a Google calendar for me. And he said, we're just going to put three slots a day. We'll just make three slots a day, and people can sign up for those slots. And we'll do it that way. That way they're not showing up at 10 a.m. You can start at noon. So then I was going from like noon till 11 o'clock at night, right? So uh, three slots a day, and I was booked out for over a month out. Three a day for a month. People want freedom. People want to be free. They just don't know how to get there. Many of these were solid believers, pastors, prayer leaders, worship leaders, people who know the Lord and love the Lord, and they're going, but I've battled with something for so long, and I've been to every conference, and I've tried everything, and I've been down to the altar a million times, and I'm going, yeah, but did you kick it out? You gotta break off agreement and then kick it out. Well, these two things gotta go hand in hand. You can't do one or the other. We gotta do it all and get rid of it. And people were getting healed. They were getting set free. They were getting delivered. They were feeling the power of the Holy Spirit move through, through their body. And, and it was amazing. I was getting testimonies in emails and texts and things. I mean, I, I was literally, that was my life, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs. And I'd be, you know, calling for the fire of God to come baptize people because I didn't know what I was doing. And occasionally I'd hear my kids upstairs. They, they could tell when it was really intense because they'd start being like, fire, fire, fire. <laughs> Just yelling from the upstairs, downstairs, you know, to help me out, give me a little backup here, the presence of God, release it into that room. Uh, but yeah, it went on and on and on. And what started to happen is because my mind works in outline form, which is how the Lord made me, and I'm thankful for it, he started to show me a pattern in each of these freedom sessions is what we were calling them, just freedom. We're coming in with freedom. I began to see that there were different things that the enemy always hung on to. And I started to count them. I started to kind of jot them down. Like unforgiveness is one, right? You guys know that. If you've got unforgiveness in your life, the enemy can really grab onto that tightly. That's not an They're all like normal things like that. I'm not talking about abstract stuff. You're not going to hear me end up coming out with something that you're like, she's loony. I mean, maybe because I had a Lucifer. But other than that, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> They're all stuff that if you know the words, you're going to go, yeah, that's right, right? You know, stuff. So I started to see these things. That these are areas that the enemy hangs on to. And gives them a right to be there. And we got to break off that right. And so I started to write them down and came up with seven of them. That's what these seven agreements are. If you've seen that, that we go through and we break off agreement with the enemy. And we come into agreement with Jesus and what he says instead. And then we tell the enemy it's got to go. And it has nothing to hang on to anymore. And it's got to go. It's remarkable. Right? So I start jotting all this down. And we get to the end of April now. And the Lord, or maybe it was into April, whatever the nine months were, it's a blur. Um, but the Lord said, okay, you're going to come out from the basement now and you're going to start to teach this. And I'm like, teach what? 
like, I don't even, I haven't even caught my breath yet. Like, teach what? Right? And so I sat down at my computer, and, and a couple running thoughts that he kept putting in me through those nine months was, you need to know who you are. You need to know what you've been given, and you need to know who God is. These are the three foundational things. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you've been given, and you have to know who God is, right? And so I sat down, and I said, okay, God, who am I, right? And he started to lay out this outline for me. Now, I'm telling you, I've read the Bible since I, was, since I could learn to read. I've read it so many times. I mean, I had been at the place in my life where it's like every sermon I've heard at least 10 times. You know, you just feel like there's nothing new. Like, there's not really much new that can be said unless it's just an obscure fact or something, right? Uh, the Lord began to take all, all of this stuff, all this stuff that I knew, and it was like it was like this inside of me, and he just clicked it into place like that. And he blew my mind. He took all of these things, and then he showed me something I had absolutely never seen before. So over the course of this weekend, what Jesus said, Jesus said that good teachers of the law are like who have come into the kingdom are like those who go into a storeroom and they bring out treasures both old and new right and so yeah we should be hearing old foundational things but we should also be getting revelation and hearing new things as long as it's in scripture <laughs> right I mean, that's the baseline but we should be, our God is an endless God. It shouldn't be that we're hearing the same thing over and over and over again. There should be new. It should be old and new, right? So I'm going to speak some things to you this weekend that might be new. And you might be going, how come I never heard this before? Well, welcome to my world. But I'll tell you, it changed everything for me. I am so free now. I am a, per a different person than I was three years ago. Like complete, I, I am who I am. I was always underneath, I was there underneath all the crap. I just didn't know it. I thought all that other stuff was me. I thought it was my flesh. I thought it was struggles, I, all of this stuff, and it wasn't. And you can, if you don't believe me, ask my kids. They'll tell you. Ask my husband. They're the ones who know me the best. They'll tell you I'm a different person. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom. So the first thing that the Lord, when I sat down with him, the first thing that he showed me, and you guys can get out your pamphlets right now because we're going to do these. This is for tonight. I'm going to lay a foundation for you tonight that we're going to use for the entirety of the weekend as we go through Scripture. As we go and we look at the Word, right? So the first thing the Lord was saying, I'm going to lay a foundation for you, all right? Okay, God, I'm game. Lay a foundation. I like foundations, you know. And so he said, okay, I want you to see these three time periods in my scriptures. We have the shadow, we have the fullness, and we have the restoration of all things. Okay? The shadow, the fullness, and the restoration of all things. Now, I've got the scriptures there for you, but you might actually know them. The writer of Hebrews, he's talking about how the things, the, the laws, the covenants, they were a shadow of a heavenly reality. Do you guys remember reading that? 
Uh, there's passages, that's why, we, that's why it's called the shadow. It's a shadow of something. It's a pointer to something that finds its home in Jesus, in the fullness, right? Jesus came and he came in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and in him we too were brought to fullness. <coughs> and then the final period is the restoration of all things, where everything gets restored, not just within us, but all around us, all right? Scripture is not these old covenant, new covenant sections. Scripture is one unified thing that is getting built upon, layer by layer. And so that's what we're going to see. I want you to, I'm going to do the first one with you, all right? So in the shadow, we know the story of the Israelites coming out of the hands of the Egyptians, right? The spirit of death passing over their homes, and they ended up celebrating Passover as a reminder of how they were rescued from slavery, right? So they would celebrate this meal, and they still do to, to this day. They celebrate a Passover meal to remember how they were saved from slavery. That's in the shadow, a Passover meal. Well, we come into the fullness. Jesus is here. The fullness starts with Jesus. Jesus, the night before he dies, he's sitting and he's sharing a meal. Do you know what meal it is? Passover, but it's also now become what we call communion, the, la the Last Supper, right? So Passover was a shadow of what is now this communion meal, that we're participants with Jesus. Jesus took elements of the Passover meal. He, he broke the bread. If you've ever been to a Passover Seder, there's a piece of uh, matzah that gets broken during the Seder. Did you know that? It's in a lineup. There's three pieces with napkins in between. And the middle one, it represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The middle one is called the afikomen, and it gets broken and wrapped up in a napkin and hidden for kids to go find. It's a great thing. Uh, but it actually represents Isaac. Now, we know that what happened with Isaac in the shadow was that he was going to be sacrificed, right? The only son of Abraham going to be sacrificed. And God said, I will send and I will bring the sacrifice. And so Jesus takes this piece that represents Isaac and he breaks it. He's not just taking a piece of bread and saying, see, it looks like flesh. It's my body. No, he's taking Isaac. He knows what he's doing. And he's saying, this is me now. I'm being broken for you. I'm fulfilling that, all right? So the Passover comes into this. And then at the end of the meal, Passover Seder is based around four cups. And there's a cup that you take at the end of the meal. It's the cup of redemption. Scripture says at the end of the meal, Jesus picked up the cup. And that's the one he said, this is my blood. It wasn't just because it's red, it's like blood. That's not it. No, it was redemption. They knew what it meant. And he said, I'm redeeming you with my blood now. I'm fulfilling something here that was never fulfilled by that lamb. I'm fulfilling it here. So then we get the communion meal. So Passover meal in the shadow becomes communion meal in the fullness, and then we get to the restoration of all things. And do you guys remember about a meal that's going to take place? The wedding supper of the Lamb. They're all one and the same, There's, but it starts with a shadow. God builds it to a full rea the reality of it, and then he brings it to the ultimate. 
That's what's happening over and over and over and over again in Scripture. And so you guys are going to take five minutes with your table, and you're going to look at these, and you're going to come up with these lists of what was, I've got verses underneath it, how something went from the shadow to the fullness to the restoration. Everybody has a table leader at their table if you've got questions. But pull out your Bibles. Come on, five minutes. We're going quick here. We don't got a lot of time. For time's sake, I'm going to give you the answers. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you, this is the first conference where we actually had people write these out. Normally, we just give you the answers and I go through them. But we're trying out some new things to see if this helps people get it a little bit better. So again, we're talking about the shadow, we're talking about the fullness, and we're talking about the restoration of all things. We said that in the shadow, we talked about the Passover meal and how that was a picture of something that came into fullness in Jesus, that communion meal that we share. And then that will meet its actual greatest fulfillment in the restoration of all things as the wedding supper of the Lamb. So did anybody get number two? What was number two? In the shadow, what was the inheritance there? The promised land. Well, then we come into the fullness, and what is it, our promised land here and now? The kingdom of God. I gave you that one. Good. And then we come into the restoration of all things, and what is the promised land in the restoration of all things? Heaven, right? You guys see the building up? We're going to do the next one. Uh, what's number three? What did you guys get for number three? The law written on stone, the Ten Commandments, that was the, first, that was the first picture, this shadow. Well, in the fullness, the law gets transferred into, a, into something greater. Where does the law get written? On our hearts and minds. It's the law of the Spirit, right? And then in the restoration of all things, now the law isn't just within us. Where else is it? It's all around us. It's the order of the kingdom. In the fullness here, it's the order within us. In the restoration, it's within us and around us. It's heaven. It's God's order. It's just the way that it is, right? So then what's number four? The temple, right? So in the shadow, we have this temple made by human hands. We come into the fullness, and what is the temple? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And then we come into the restoration of all things. And what does it say for the temple there? Yeah, God is the temple. So he's the temple. And then we're the temple with him. It's crazy. All right? So it's this building up. It's not separate things. It's a picture coming into fullness and then reaching its peak when everything gets restored. All right? So then the next one is the battle, right? They, had, they battled to get into the promised land. Their battle was, was with unclean nations. We know this, right? Well, we come into the, the fullness, and who are we battling now? Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is with, right? And so now we actually see that the battle is with unclean spiritual entities, and then in the restoration of all things, as we enter into that restoration, there will be a final battle. Scripture speaks about it. In fact, it says that the spirit of death is the last one that will be thrown into the lake of fire. So then, this one blew my mind, and this one, it, 
It's just awesome, right? So did anybody get all the way down to number six? No? All right, I'm going to give it to you. You guys got it? What is it? Circumcision of the flesh. The cutting off of the flesh, right? That's the picture of the covenant in the shadow. Well, then we come into the fullness, and it says in Colossians that we've been given a circumcision not done by human hands, a cutting off of the flesh, and that flesh has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. Now, this is so important because God's the one who designed the picture coming into full, fullness, and then the final circumcision is when we drop these bodies entirely and we're going to be given a new body, right? A removal of the flesh entirely. But it's so important to understand right now because when, when, when circumcision happens, I don't know if any of you are a doctor, a circumcision doctor, uh, but when circumcision happens, you're cutting off flesh. Now, can you take that flesh and reapply it? No. Of course not. That's absurd. It just, that's not how it works. Once it's cut off, it's gone, right? Well, we come into the fullness, and in Colossians it says, we have been circumcised. That's the word used because it's now being brought into fullness, circumcised of the flesh, and it's been nailed to the cross. So can we take that cut off, circumcised flesh and reapply it? No. In the same way that when we get to the restoration of all things, we're going to drop this body. We're going to be given a new body. Are we going to be able to take our old body back on? No. And yet somehow this thing has pervaded the church where we constantly think we're dealing with sinful old flesh. That has been circumcised off of you. God's words, not mine. It has been cut off. So what are we dealing with? That's the question. That has been the great distractor of the church. It's been probably the number one lie that the enemy has used. That you are the problem. Your flesh is the problem. Don't look at the enemy. Look at you. You're never going to make it. You're never going to be good enough. You just don't have it in you. You're just sinful. You're always going to struggle till the day that you die. It's just part of being human. It's just your flesh. It's just your flesh. It's just shut up. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Not yours, not mine. God makes it very clear that that's been cut off. And that's, that's foundational to what we're coming into. We'll, we'll expound more on that. So since nobody got to six, or maybe who was it that got six? Did you get a bonus one? Did you come up with one too? We're going to go through so many over this weekend, it's going to blow your mind. But so everybody understand that we're not talking about separate, separate things. We're talking about a building up of something. That God was giving a picture so that we would understand something that we would receive in the fullness that is going to reach its completion in the restoration. So why is this important? Well, it's important because if you've ever had, I'll tell you firsthand, I'll confess, I said this. I said this multiple times. Oh, that's old covenant. Oh, that's old covenant. We're new covenant. That's old covenant. And I made a line between those things that really was saying we don't need that 
Don't pay attention to that. Just pay attention to this. And that is not good because we learn so much from the shadow layer of things that help us understand the fullness that we're in and what we will ultimately be coming into. I'll tell you the covenant with Abraham was an everlasting covenant. How could God call it an everlasting covenant? Because it had another layer that was going to be added on. And then another one that's going to bring it to the final completion. That's how come. And so they all go together. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm doing? Does it make sense? It's really, really important. Timothy, Paul in his letter to Timothy, he says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. You were redeemed to righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you would become the righteousness of God. That is who you are. And all of scripture is used for the training in righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's imperative, but if you do not understand the message of righteousness, if you still think that you are a piece of crap, you will not go into, into the meat of the gospel. It's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, you're still, on, you're still on milk. Anybody on milk does not understanding the teaching of righteousness. That's literally what he says. That's it. We keep believing this lie and it's kept us going, why aren't we going any further? What is this disconnect? How come I can't see all of those things that I had going on? 99% of the church that I've encountered has the same thing going on and it's because we believe that something's wrong with us rather than there's a battle going on and I've believed some lies. And now that I know, well, you better believe I'm walking differently. I'm walking differently, I'm looking differently, I'm sounding differently, and I'm not putting up with crap anymore. And I'm telling you, life is different. Seeing the power of God move. So it's so important. You have to know the time that you're living in. We're, we're not in the shadow anymore. We are in the fullness. You have to know that because if you're reading scripture and you don't know these differences, you're going to look and go, well, you have to obey the Ten Commandments. It should be written on your heart, right? You'll start, you'll start grasping at things that are in the restoration. You'll start grasping at things that are in the shadow, and you'll make them as if they're for now when they're not for now. You have to pay attention. We're living in the fullness, and that means something. There's another name, and you might have heard it. It's called the already not yet. Have you heard that name for the fullness before? Anybody heard that phrase, the already not yet? It's actually talking about that line between the fullness and the restoration. That's what it's talking about. And so we have these right here. Hmm, how are we doing? We got 10 minutes. All right, we got to go quick. You are not going to have time to fill these out. I'm learning as we go. That's okay. Um, so I want you, I'm going to give you the answers to these. Oh, if I can open my computer. <laughs> All right, let's see. All right, the already not yet. So Ephesians 2, 6 
says that you have already been raised with Christ, but 1 Corinthians 15.52 says that you are not yet raised. So you've already been, so it's that first box right there. So when you fill in the blank, page two, the already not yet, you've got already not yet. Well, the first blank is that you are already raised, but not yet raised. The second one is you are already adopted, but not yet adopted. The third one is you are already redeemed, but not yet redeemed. The one, 1 Corinthians one is that you are already sanctified, but not yet sanctified. And the final one, Ephesians 2.8 and Romans 5.9, is you are already saved, but not yet saved. What the heck was Paul talking about? He was talking about what we already are and what is to come, all right? The restoration, the fullness versus the, versus the re restoration. And what I want you to know, I have it in bold print right here. Our spiritual participation in Jesus' resurrection guarantees our physical participation in the coming resurrection. So where I say right now, spiritually, I have died with Christ, and I have been raised with Christ. I have spiritually, I died with him. I did. It was a real thing. But I will literally drop this body and be raised physically with Christ. So I have already, but not yet been raised. I am already saved, right? I've been saved, set free, healed, delivered, here and now. But I am still here. I will be saved in a whole new way all around me. So I'm already saved, but not yet saved. Do you see the, the line between the two? You are 100% fully saved, redeemed, sanctified, adopted now. Spiritually, that is the reality that's going on. But our spiritual participation with that now guarantees our physical participation later. Does that make sense? Is everybody following what I'm saying? I want you to picture what was happening because the disciples... They believed, all of Israel believed that when the Messiah came, that that was going to be the end. Like we, you know, we think about the second coming. Jesus is going to come and we're going to all go. He's going to usher in the kingdom. Well, that's what they thought was going to happen when Jesus came the first time. That's what they had been taught. That's what everybody was saying. And all the way up to the point of Jesus literally like ascending, <laughs> ascending into the sky, one of the disciples is like, is this when you're going to usher in the kingdom? Like, where are you going? Take me with you. Right? It was, would be the same way that if Jesus came back today here and then left without us, we would have some questions. We would have a couple questions, right? And where would we go to get those questions answered? We'd go to God. We'd go to the scripture. We'd be like, we must have missed something. 
We must have read something wrong. And so that's exactly what they did. And they went back to their scriptures, the old covenant. They went to the shadow. And what God showed them in the shadow gave them the context for what they were now in. They would not have known had they not had that whole storyline laid out. Wait, Jesus is the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the blood of the lamb saved us from Egyptian, saved us from sin. The connections are being made. Oh my goodness. We see it happened here. He gave us the storyline so we would know that we wouldn't be freaking out thinking that maybe we weren't saved, <laughs> you know, because he left without us. God gave them the shadow and we have it as well because we're still in this time. We're in, living in the same time that they were in, just a little bit further down the line, but it gives us information that you you don't have in the fullness because they were starting to figure it out, right? Pentecost happened and they're having to give out food to the, the widows and stuff. And they're like, we can't do this. We need to be studying the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. Why did they need to study them? Because now everything had changed and they were seeing it in a new light. And we're going to show this week and we're going to look at all the scriptures in a new light, but it is so important that we know the time that we're in, that we're not waiting for something that's not going to happen, that we're not doing the same thing that they kind of did and thinking it was something else, that we are actually ready like Jesus hopes that we're going to be ready when he returns, all right? So it's really, really important for you to know. Now, the shadow began with the story of Abraham, and we'll go into that tomorrow, but I want you to know, before the shadow began, there was the beginning. There was creation. The story of creation. In the beginning, we have to look at this because it tells us what was man's original design. We will never know what we've been redeemed back to if we don't know what we were first designed as. Jesus didn't just die to save us from sin. He died to redeem us back to original value. Did you know that? Because for so long, I just lived thinking he had died to set me free from sin. It's so much bigger than that. He died to redeem me back so I'm not a slave anymore, so I'm back to how I was originally made to be. And if we don't know what that is, then we will believe every lie that the enemy wants to feed into our ear about how faulty we are. Okay? So we're going to quickly go through this. Man's original design in nature. First thing to note is that sin was not man's original nature. Does everybody know that to be true? God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. They were in the image of God. No sin wasn't there. But the ability to make a moral choice was in their design, as it is in ours. Set free, brand new, redeemed, but can we still choose to sin? Yes. It doesn't make us immune. They in their design, they were able to make a choice, even in a sinless state. So then what happened was the fall. <coughs> There was a place for obedience 
or disobedience in sinlessness to be displayed. I want you to see the enemy's tactics because it's the same ones that he uses today. He's actually not super original. When we would go through breaking off agreements and I would say, let's ask, what are the lies this thing has been telling me? I'll tell you, it's the same lies for everybody. Same lies. I'm like, dude, jeez, what is this? It's so unoriginal. Our God's a creator. I'm used to creative, you know? He's just dumb. It's crazy. Anyways, so the enemy's tactics. First thing he does is he causes you to question God. That's what he did. He said, did God really say to you, don't eat from any tree? Did God really say that? That's the first question. The second thing that he, that he does is he tells you God is lying. You won't die. I mean, God had specifically told them, <laughs> specifically told them, do not eat that fruit. In the day you eat of it, you will die. Right? The enemy goes, you won't die. God's a liar. Right? So he goes from questioning it to telling you God's lying to you. And then he appeals to the natural good desires of the flesh. Because your flesh, if you're a believer, has been redeemed. And so I want you to see what happened in Eve because sin did not originate in her flesh. A spiritual being there was trying to entrap the good desires of her flesh. Can anybody open to Genesis chapter 3 verse 6? And just read it out loud. Right. It lists three things. She saw it was good to eat. Is that a sin? Is it a sin to see something is good to eat, guys? No. She saw it was good to look at. Is that a sin? No. She saw it was good for, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Is it a sin to desire wisdom? No. Those are all part of our design. God made us to like to look at beautiful things. He created beautiful things. He made us to desire wisdom. These are part of our natural design. The enemy will appeal to things that are, are actually good, but then he'll tell you that something that's going to kill you is that, is that good thing, right? And so I want you to picture, if you could picture like a, a bottle of bleach under the sink. It looks like water. If I poured bleach into this, it doesn't matter how thirsty I got. I would not be drinking that, right? I wouldn't because I know it would kill me, convinced that it would kill me. It doesn't matter how parched my throat got or how desperate for water I was, I would not go after the bleach because I know that I know that I know it's going to die. All the enemy has to do is try to trick me into thinking that this isn't as bad as I thought it was. That's all he's got to do. My thirst is not bad. My desire is not bad. All he's got to do is say, doesn't it look like water? I mean, you're really, really thirsty. And there's nothing else around. Who knows when you're even going to get your next sip of water? You know? You, I mean, just a sip, just a little, little sip. It probably won't burn that bad. You know? 
That's what he does. He takes good desires, and then he takes something that will make you die, and then tries to make it seem appealing. And so if there's something you've been battling, I want you to ask the Lord, what is the lie this thing's telling me about this? Because this thing you tell me, this will make me die. This is bleach. I know it's bleach, but yet I still kind of want it. Why? What is the lie that's happening? It's not that there's sin rising up in you. Those are natural desires, and they're not supposed to lead you. You're supposed to go by the spirit of truth. Our flesh is weak. That's a true thing. Our flesh is weak, but it's not corrupted anymore. It's been redeemed. We don't go by the flesh. We go by the spirit. But it's not, sin is not originating in the flesh. It's coming from something else that's lying to you and telling you that something as bad is good. That's all it is, all right? And then you're agreeing with it. Hopefully not. What you need to see is man was not the initiator of the sin. The serpent was. Even in the perfect garden, there was a rebellion taking place. A seraphim that was in rebellion to God was seeking to get man to agree with him in rebellion. And sinless man went from obedient to disobedient. The beautiful thing, and I should have this passage in there, and I don't. I'm going to have to change this again. But in Romans, it says that the gift of God is not like the trespass. The gift is so much greater. Have you guys read that? And I want you to understand what he's saying. Because he says, through one man's sin, death entered the world and affected everybody. Right? One man, one sin caused death for everybody. Immediately, Adam and Eve died. Well, guess what happens now? I've been redeemed. And if I come into agreement with something and we produce a sin, I don't die. The grace is stronger than that. I don't immediately cause death like it did for Adam. It says his grace will cover the trespass and the trespass and the trespass and the trespass and will continue to. His grace is greater than sin, which I'm so thankful for. That's the difference between where we are now and where Adam and Eve were. They didn't have the grace of God. We do. So that, First John says, if anyone knows him, you shouldn't be sinning. You won't be sinning. But if you do happen to... <laughs> His, his grace is enough, right? Don't, don't use your freedom as a license to sin. That's dumb. You're only drinking death there. It's only going to hurt you. Don't do it, you know? But if you happen to, there's grace for you. And that's the difference. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So I want you to see about the flesh. In the, in the garden, it was the one thing the, the one day that God looked at everything that he, he made and he said it was very good. It was very good. It wasn't just good. It was very good. And so when we've been redeemed back, we haven't been just redeemed back to good. We've been redeemed back to very good, which is awesome. In the fall, our flesh was handed over to depravity. talks about it at the beginning of Romans. And you can look up those verses. In the redemption, that depravity gets circumcised off and crucified. But our flesh is still made from earth. 
It is still weak, it is still temptable, it is still earthly, and it will leave us. We will let go of it. But it is not bad, it is very good. You have to know that. And in the restoration of all things, it's, been, it's made new, completely new. All of that to say, if you've been redeemed and you've been brought back out of slavery and brought back to your original design of children of God, then you say, well, if I'm new, then how come I don't, same thing. <laughs> if I'm new, how come I keep struggling with the same things? I keep doing the same things. Well, I'm telling you, if it's not like God, it's not like you, all right? It's not you. It's something there that you've agreed with. You've believed a lie, but it is not you. That's the difference. The enemy wants you looking at yourself and going, something's wrong with me. I just can't get it right. Those thoughts that flood through your mind, those are not you. That is the enemy affecting your life and trying to stay hidden and make you think there's something wrong with God or there's something wrong with you. Those are the two directions he points. That's it. Don't look at me. God's just not generous. God just doesn't give. God's withholding from you. He hears you, but he's just not listening. No, you screwed up too many times. You just did it again. He's really angry at you, you know? You just, you got to try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. It's such a lie. And there's so much freedom. As the children of God, we are in the image of Christ. We've been redeemed back into the image of the Son. And if the church actually started looking like Jesus, imagine how the world would change. In the past two and a half years, three years, I feel like I've walked like the disciples now, and I never could say that before. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I loved Jesus, no matter how much I did, and it wasn't for lack of love. It wasn't for lack of, of desire. It wasn't for lack of any of that. It was literally for lack of knowledge. I didn't know what I was dealing with. And I kept resorting to tactics that were ineffective to actually handle the issue. I just kept pouring water, sowing, weeding, but not actually getting to the, to the issue at hand. So people will ask me, and I'm gonna say it because probably some of you are maybe thinking it, so do you believe everything is a demon? Maybe. No, just kidding. Um, I believe that our salvation is way bigger than what we know and that we've settled for stuff thinking that there's something wrong with us way too long. I'll tell you, there's two things that I bring it down to. If it's not good, it's not me. That much I know, right? So if a thought comes through my mind that's not good, I'm like, ha thank you for making yourself known. You're leaving, and you're never coming back to me again, right? I, I take it, yeah, it might be demonic. It might be a demon. I don't even know what a demon is. I don't really care. It might be sin is constantly personified in the Bible, right? Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It's not you who, who are sinning. It's sin having its way in you. It, it's really, and I put all the passages in there. You can look it up for yourself. Sin is made as like its own personal entity, an unclean spiritual thing. And I don't know if it's got a voice or not, but I know it has to leave. 
I know it's got to go and I know it's not part of me. I know it has no place here because the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. It says he canceled out the sin of the land in a single day. And I believe it and I'm experiencing it now because I'm different. And not because I tried harder and not because I read my Bible more, but because the spirit of knowledge came and actually showed me in the word what we're actually doing. And it's changed everything. That's all I'm going to go into for tonight because I know we're running to the timeline. Past it probably, right? 9.09. I want to thank you guys for your patience and for listening. I want to I just share with you one testimony that just happened, just to show you how this infiltrates normal situations all the time. My sister just gave birth to a baby uh, last, last week or two weeks ago, and she's been walking in freedom now. Like, my whole, my whole family's walking in freedom. They're getting it. It's amazing. But my sister, her and her husband are pastors up in Maine, and she gave birth to this baby, and I was up there for it, and she was in labor. Her water broke. She wanted to have the baby at a birthing center. And so she goes to the birthing center because once her water broke, she was on a timetable, needed to have this baby out within, I think it's 48 hours, whatever. She's gotten contractions, but they're not building up. And so she's at the birthing center kind of laboring all day with no progress. They're trying to get her walking and moving and doing all of these things to get her contractions up, and they're just not escalating. They'd escalate during the walking, and then they would just die out, right? She was getting so tired and so disheartened and all of this. Spends the night at the birthing center. The next day, same thing. They're trying uh, acupressure and all of this stuff. And none of it's working. And finally, the midwife comes in and says, listen, uh, you guys are going to have to consider the fact that you're probably going to have to go to the hospital because it's just not escalating here. And I know you didn't want to do that. I know you wanted to have the baby here, but... We, can't, we can only go so far with this. Um, and so my sister, she was obviously very upset, very tired, all of that. The midwife left the room, and my other sister, Kendall, who's walking in freedom like crazy too, bringing people into freedom all over the place, she ends up going, Lord, what is stealing from this birth? And my sister, Wesley, goes, I heard perfectionism. My sister Kendall says, all right, we got it. Let's get this thing off. And she walks my sister Wesley through, breaking off the seven agreements. And then she says, in the name of Jesus, perfectionism, I tell you to get off of her. Well, immediately, my sister, who doesn't throw up even when she's sick, all of a sudden starts dry heaving. They grab a trash barrel. She throws up three times, and then her contractions start, and she has a baby in her arms in an hour and a half. It was one of the fastest deliveries those midwives had seen. We had settled for a day and a half thinking that was normal. And it wasn't. We've been redeemed to something greater than we realize. And the children of God need to start understanding and knowing how to walk in the fullness of their salvation and not settling for the enemy's influence anymore in our lives because we've been given something so so, so good. If God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, why wouldn't he, along with Jesus, not freely give us all things? 
what would be the point? He's laid out this salvation that is like a treasure in a field, worth more than anything you could possibly have, better than anything you can imagine, worth giving up everything for. And yet we've settled for, I'm sorry, the suckiest Christianity I've ever seen. Where we think we're just gonna struggle till we die. And I'm not even telling you, I'm talking about internal. We should have no internal struggle. And I'm being real with you. It has been lifted off of me. My mind is so quiet now. It's unbelievable. And I'm a busy person. And my mind is quiet. That was not how it was three years ago. My emotions are quiet. And the peace of God, my brother passed away this past year. Unexpectedly. And my sister came pounding on my door in the middle of the night. Zach's dead! Zach's dead! Zach's dead! Right? And I wake up out of bed like just, what's going on? And the first thing that I noticed was the peace that I've been feeling because of all the freedom I've been walking in didn't leave. It didn't leave. It didn't budge. It didn't move. There was nothing there to harass. I had already gotten out all accusation, all regret, all offense. Like I'd already gotten out all the stuff that would have tried to steal from that grieving process. I was actually able to grieve my brother in this really beautiful love way. Uh, it's hard for me to describe what it was like. I mean, I, I certainly cried and I grieved, but the peace was just there. I'm telling you, the gift is incredible. And I'm hoping by the end of this weekend that you will grab hold of it, that you will know how to come into it, and this will just be a launching pad for you to go further and further and further into all that Christ Jesus lay hold of for you. You will not regret it, and I know you know that because you already know him. But I'm hoping you know him more after this. So thank you. Well, that about wraps up our podcast for today. I pray that it was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org. If you've got questions or comments about the material that you heard today, feel free to email us, info at newriverchurch.org. God bless you.